0: Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Eric Bold, Director of Public Affairs. We just got finished with our annual D.C. fly-in trip, and we have some recordings that we'd like to share with you from that trip with uh, our president, Blake Hurst. Uh, had the opportunity to sit down with our new senator, Josh Hawley, and uh, we're going to bring that to you here first so that you can understand what was going on in D.C. during the first few days of Senator Hawley's tenure and what he's dealing with right now. And then uh, after that, we're going to recap the rest of the week and the trip to D.C. with Spencer Tuma. So let's get started. All right, we're here on the
1: Missouri Farm Bureau podcast, and uh, I'm Blake Hurst, and I'm joined by uh, Senator Josh Hawley. Great to be with you. And we're in Washington, D.C., where um, we had a chance to visit with Josh in his office, uh, watch him ask a few questions on the Foreign Relations Committee, I think probably the burning question that everybody in Missouri has is do uh do freshman senators get haste?
2: <laughs> well, you know, I, I uh I will say that um when Senator Scott, Tim Scott from South Carolina is a great guy, when he called me and he said, uh, I've got your committee assignments for for you. And of course this is all new to me. And I said, Okay, this is great. And he goes through and he tells me what they are. He said, All right, you're gonna be on the Judiciary Committee, and you're gonna be on the Armed Services Committee and Homeland Security and Small Business. I said, Oh, that sounds great. And then he said, I need to I need you to do me a favor. And I said, What's that? He said, I need you to be on the committee on aging. And I said, Oh, okay. And he said, uh Uh, I said, don't you think, though, maybe you want somebody with a little more experience? Because I'm the the Senate's youngest member. And he said to me... he said, uh, I, th- I think maybe it'd be an opportunity uh, for you to learn something. And he said, since you took my seat and on services, I want you to be on aging. So I guess that's as close to hazing as it gets. But uh, having said that, uh, that committee, uh, Blake, is, a, is an important committee because one of the things we deal with are uh, what folks, particularly in rural areas in our state, yeah. uh, folks who are getting older, the kind of struggles that they're facing, and that's, that impacts a lot of our farm communities.
1: Yeah, that's true. We're, uh, we have average age of farmers older than we'd like, so yep. that's a challenge that we face. Um, you were a tremendous champion for uh, U.S. agriculture, Missouri Agriculture's Attorney General, working on the waters of the U.S. rule. Now we have a new rule. Uh, it's in the comment period. Uh, you've helped us get this far. Uh, we look forward to working with you to get us over the finish line.
2: You bet. We've got to push this through. I was just saying, I've, I've spoken with the new EPA administrator about the vital importance of this rule, of getting it done, uh, of, of getting this rollback of, of the regulatory overreach uh, getting that rollback achieved, getting it cemented, and making sure that we never go back uh, to the uh, the incredible overreach that we saw under the last administration. And, and we need to make progress. By the way, uh, Blake and I, I've said this to him. We need to make progress on a on a series of these rules that you know that are hanging out there, Obama era rules that uh, the administration has tried to rescind or put on ice. We, we need to get. We need to drive a stake through their hearts so they don't come back to haunt us. And you did have a chance to talk to him about uh, ethanol and the small refinery exemptions? I did, and I think this is very, very important. I wanted to be on record with him. Uh, I requested a meeting with him. Uh, Again, we're talking about the the new EPA administrator, uh, because I wasn't going to cast a vote for his confirmation until I heard from him on the waiver process for small refineries. And I made very clear to him that in our state and in our region, uh, farmers, those involved with biofuels, uh, they depend on... Uh, first of all, the law being followed, the RFS standard being followed and implemented. All we're asking for is that the law that Congress wrote actually be followed. Uh, and they also depend on there being some predictability here. I mean, We can't have EPA handing out gobs of waivers uh, we don't know how many it'll be. We don't know how it'll affect uh, the total volume. We don't. I mean, we 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 just cannot have that situation going forward. So, he assured me he's committed to transparency. Uh, that uh, he he wants to uh, to see the RFS standard implemented. And I'm going to hold him to that.
1: We've got 87 uh, Missouri Farm Bureau members here working the Hill, lobbying, to visiting with you and your colleagues. How important is it for farmers to come to Washington D.C.? Very
2: important. I mean, it's very important. One of the things I've been struck with here i 've only been here for a couple of months i 'm the youngest member of the Senate uh, you know so i in other words i 'm the new guy in town, but I am so struck by how many people in the political class up here just do not understand farming or agriculture at all they don 't have any contact with it uh, they don 't they don 't they don't have any understanding of our way of life uh, so they need to hear from farmers, from ranchers, from those involved in ag in any way directly. And look, I have said, and I'm proud of this, I come from a farming background myself. I'm an unapologetic, unashamed voice for agriculture. I think it's a big deal. I'm the youngest member of the Senate, but I'm also a big advocate for agriculture because I want people to understand that ag is our future. It's not just part of our past, although it's an important part of our past. It's a vital part of our future, and we've got to advocate for that.
1: And of course, in order to be successful in the future, we're going to need... uh... Increased opportunities to sell our goods overseas. So what's happening on the trade front?
2: You know, we were just talking about this. We have got to make sure that we get opened up markets for our farmers uh, and our producers on fair and equal terms all over the world. And not just markets that exist right now. We need access, particularly in places like East Asia, places like India and elsewhere. You've got a growing middle class. We want the chance to feed these people. We know our farmers can feed the world. We're already doing it. We've been doing it for decades. Nobody does it like we do it. We need terms. We need deals, trade deals, that will get us fair access to those markets, those emerging markets. So uh, we've got to, I continue to urge the White House to uh, hold uh, the feet to the fire of the Chinese government, get a deal that will open up the markets for us on fair terms. It'll be good for our farmers. And the other thing I'll say about this, Blake, is. We've got to make sure that we don't get frozen out. China, you know, we're in competition right now with China. Uh, China is trying to use their relationships in East Asia in particular to sort of set up a separate trade system that they might ultimately try to box us out of. We cannot allow that to happen. We have got to be able to have access for our goods in every corner of the world. So it is vital that we get agreements here that allow American farmers and American producers and Missouri farmers... To sell all over the world on fair terms.
1: So you're in a basement office, which is where all yeah. some, uh, freshman centers go. You'll be moving here in a few days. Just how's the transition? Family transition? Uh, staffing up your office? A lot of people work for a center. Tell us how that's
2: going. You know, it's we are down in the basement. Although I've said maybe it's the safest place to be because uh, you know all of the uh, uh, the DC swamp creatures can't really find us. They don't know where we are. So we're we're kind of hiding out, trying to get some work done. But uh, no, it's good, and we'll be getting our permanent office here soon. Uh, my family—I've got my two little boys at home, and my wife Erin—and our boys are four and six now, and this has been a big uh, transition uh, for them and for us. But uh, you know, it's just such a privilege to get to serve our state, and uh, I think about this every day as a as a small town boy from Lexington, Missouri. Every day I I drive into this capital, and I think, man, what an opportunity, and also a responsibility to uh, be a voice for and stand up for the people of our state, and in particular, the rural way of life, the farming way of life that is the backbone of our state and our country.
1: No better way to end. We're glad you're here. We thank you for your
2: time. Thanks for having me.
0: Spencer Tumas, our Director of National Legislative Programs and more importantly for this week's podcast, Spencer was the main point person for our Washington, D.C. trip. And, uh, Spencer, it seems like you got out there and got back with everybody still together and didn't lose anybody. So I know that makes it a successful trip. Uh, but uh, what what else uh, happened while we were out there in, the, in D.C. on this trip? And uh, what are the, the biggest um, takeaways from this year's trip?
3: We did have a very successful fly in this year. Uh, we had approximately 87 Missouri Farm Bureau members and staff head out head out to Washington to our nation's capital to really learn about how our policy development process interacts with the legislative process. So uh, we were out in D.C. Tuesday through Friday. Uh, I will tell you that it is always a really great trip, but at the end of it I am always ready to come home. <laughs> we, we pack a lot into the four mm-hmm. days, um, so it's always nice to come back to Missouri and come Kind of regroup, but we talked about a lot of issues while we were out in DC, including trade, the new clean water rule. Those are kind of two big ones. Um, Also, talked a lot about the potential for a federal infrastructure package and broadband development as part of that. Our members have been really engaged on these issues for a long time, um, but a lot of things are moving in Congress right now, um, especially related to trade, moving in Congress and at the administrative level. Uh, So it was very timely that we were out there for our visit.
0: Yeah, it seems like um, you know, there's always different things to talk about whenever you're there, but there were a lot of really pressing issues this year that Mm -hmm. um, sometimes you're stretching a little more to find what the things are we're going to talk about. But there was no shortage this year at all. Uh, The The speakers that spoke with the group, we had a number of those as well, Mm -hmm. Uh, people from USDA and different um, agencies and journalists and a number of other people that uh, spoke with the group. Um, What were some of their biggest uh, points that the group left with that they um, maybe had their eyes open to?
3: You mentioned that we had some journalists speak to us, and that was actually, I think, one of the most interesting panels that we had on the trip. Um, And I know we recorded a segment that will be aired on a different episode with Catherine Boudreau of Politico. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we also had Gracie Olmstead, who's a freelance writer who writes a lot about agriculture and rural issues And then Bill Thompson, who's the senior trade editor for AgriPulse. And, you know, from my perspective especially, I watch the same issues that they are covering every single day. So it's really interesting to look at that from a different perspective of what is it like to be in the ag media following these issues and reporting on them to an audience every single day. Mm -hmm. So I think all of them really had some interesting insight. Um, One of the most interesting questions that was asked had to do with the the stigma surrounding fake news and that phrase, which has kind of become very popular over the past couple of years. Um, And the question was really, has that changed how you approach the work it is that you do, and their answer was generally generally not that of course they hate the term fake news right they're journalists, yeah. but um they they were very candid about you know what that has meant for their industry and how they try to combat that on a daily basis and and I thought that was really interesting because that's not a world that I generally work in
0: yeah, and I th- think it's interesting to get a little bit of a different take on these things we um th- there's kind of the consensus view among agriculture. Um, uh, agriculture groups and the the mainstream views that we tend to hear more of in in ag media and in most of our discussions with farmers, but getting a little bit outside of that and expanding our our view of of what everybody's talking about on other sides of the issue, mm-hmm. I think is really helpful to our members to see, um, yeah, you know, I guess the other side of the story or another another side of the story, um, and that's something that I think a lot of people on, on these DC trips. Uh, come away from feeling like they gained something there. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And we had a number of other speakers um, talking on different issues of the day. You know, we had several speakers from the American Farm Bureau Federation. Again, we did some segments with them that'll be aired in a separate episode. Um, But also we had R.D. James, who, of course, is a Missourian, who's Mm -hmm. the Assistant Secretary of the Army for Civil Works, which basically means I have found that that title is a little bit confusing to people because they don't really understand what it is right. that he does. It basically means that he is the civilian leader of the Army Corps of Engineers. Yeah. So um, it was really interesting to have him speak to our group, especially right now, given all the flooding that we're seeing up in Northwest Missouri and, and along the Missouri River. Um, interesting to hear his perspective on that. He's from down in the New Madrid County area. So And, he, and he's
0: been a Missouri Farm Bureau member for, I think, 30 to 40 years. I believe at that's least. right. Um, and it's great to have Him and Richard Fordyce, who's also been a Missouri Farm Mm -hmm. Bureau member for for however long he's been farming. Right. Um, And having those people in DC as very important, influential decision-makers out there, and then getting to sit down and, and talk to them directly is really a treat. Um, it's a special time for Missouri agriculture, really.
3: Absolutely, and Administrator Fordyce was very kind. We went over to USDA um, on one of the days of the trip, and he and then Bill Northey, who's the Undersecretary for Farm Programs and Conservation, they both spoke to us, as well as Ken Isley, who's the uh, Administrator of the Foreign Agriculture Service. So a lot of discussion really centered around trade Mm -hmm. In those briefings, Um, that's kind of the biggest issue we're hearing about at the federal level right Mm -hmm. now that's related to agriculture. Of course, there's a lot of other things going on as well. A lot of things happened in Washington while we were there that weren't necessarily related to agriculture. They were related to immigration. Um, but trade was really the topic that that won the day, if you will. And that's what we tried to communicate to our federal uh, delegation when we were in their offices.
0: Right. That's definitely the most pressing issue on everybody's minds. And I uh, heard a lot of discussion about the China situation and where mm-hmm. we really stand uh, on the negotiations, trying to find some solution to the ongoing trade wars there. Mm-hmm. And it seems like a lot of the people in D.C. are fairly optimistic that we are really moving in the right direction there, although they've said – it's not any slam dunk uh, done deal. There's a lot of serious things to still get ironed out, but I've heard a lot more optimism than last year this time. Mm-hmm.
3: Absolutely, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think people realize that progress is being made, but the timeline is a little uncertain, right. and, and it it would be. I yeah. mean, you. We and have it's no... not that
0: they're hiding the timeline. Right, we just, just don't, don't know, know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they they it's a it's an open debate as to. Or an open negotiation mm-hmm. and so they don't know when it's gonna wrap up either.
3: Right. Yeah. No, it was it was very interesting, but uh we don't just work while we're out there. I always remind people that we're there to work and we're there to deliver our message, but we try to Um, give people a little bit of taste of Washington on the tourist side as well. A lot of our members have never been to Washington before, Mm -hmm. Um, so we really, uh, we try to give them the full Washington experience. So we did a tour of the Capitol. Congressman Graves is very gracious to host that every year for us and really has a lot of institutional knowledge about the Capitol building itself and the history of all the rooms. It's always fascinating. I think I learn something new every time I I go on the tour. Um, But also, you know, we take them to all of the monuments so they can see You know, the Lincoln Memorial, the Washington Monument, the World War II Memorial, Um, and then also this year, which was new. Uh, we took them to tour the White House, which mm-hmm. was a lot of fun. Uh, I do have a good story though. I actually entered my own birth date wrong <laughs> when I entered the White House um, guest list. and so I had to be detained by White House Security <laughs> for a brief time until oh they goodness. could correct my birth date. So, but all in all, things went very smoothly and we had a great time.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's always a special trip. It's um, it's a lot harder to get into the White House than it used to be. Yeah, it used to be basically if you wanted to go, you would get a little get a pass from your member of Congress and you could go. But now, you have to win the lottery a little bit to get in because it's literally a a lottery system uh, and not everybody gets in. And um, fortunately, getting a group of almost 100 people in is Mm -hmm. is pretty tough. But fortunately, you're able to find a way to make that work. And um, I think everybody really appreciated that that unique opportunity.
3: Yeah, it was really interesting to me. I had toured the White House before several years ago. And and so I I knew kind of what the security line was like, but I didn't really remember a lot about the tour. But Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I guess I didn't really realize until this past trip that the rooms you tour in the White House are not just rooms that they have roped off to have tours in. They actually use those rooms. Right. Um, they were telling us um, Secret Service was in every room and would answer questions. And they were telling us that the night before in one of the rooms they'd had dinner with the Irish prime minister. And oh, well. they, So they just, you know. People had tour schedule. I'm really glad this didn't happen to us. And they were like, "Oh, hey, the Irish Prime Minister's coming," so they canceled the tours and had dinner in there. Yeah. And they had all that cleaned up. The stage was still set up where President Trump stood and spoke, and the Irish Prime Minister as well. It was still decorated. Mm-hmm. So, so that to me was really interesting. Um, you know, one of the things I I noticed and I asked the Secret Service there was, is this the room where they announced Brett Kavanaugh's nomination mm-hmm. to the Supreme Court? And they said, as a matter of fact, it is. And I was yeah. like, oh, my gosh, I <laughs> i didn't think that anybody used these rooms. Yeah, and the they east do. Yeah, w- east,
0: east Room. East Wing? East Room? East Room. East Room, east room mm-hmm. yeah. And that was a place that actually stuck out to me, too, because sometimes i you're so used to seeing reproductions of artwork. Uh-huh. Um, you... Are, it's almost surreal to see the original piece. Yeah, George and, Washington's yeah,
3: portrait. I was like, Oh, oh my god. I was like, ooh, that's the, the, the <laughs> that's Gilbert the Stewart. One. Yeah,
0: the Gilbert Stewart portrait of Washington is hanging right there in the East Room. And you're looking at it and you're like, oh yeah, I've seen that. Oh wait, that's, that's the, it. That's it. Yeah, that's that's it. the actual one. Um, and there's a lot of those type of things in the in the White House um, that uh, that seeing it in person is just something totally different. So it was a really cool ex- experience to see those those things as well.
3: We also got to see. I like to say I planned this, but I totally did not. Um, we got to see the joint motorcade leaving yeah, the White House. That was so really cool. um, President Trump and Vice President Pence both left the White House by motorcade while we were there mm-hmm. uh, to travel over to the Pentagon. So our members not only got to see the White House, but uh, one of our members does have a video, and you can see President Trump waving out <laughs> the back window of the car. Uh-huh. So you know, it's not every day. A lot of people. Live Live in Washington a really long time and never get to see those things. Yeah, no, so.
0: and I lived in Washington for five years and I never saw a presidential motorcade. Now that's partially because I was inside sitting in my office all the time. Right, they didn't tend to drive by Capitol Hill where we were <laughs> um, unless they were going to it. But yeah, that was really neat to see. And um, you know, the people I was staying by were like uh, trying to decide which of the the beast, um, which is what they call the presidential mm-hmm. limousine, um, which version of it. There's like five of them in the motorcade. And they mix it up so that you can't always tell which one the president's in. You're trying to tell which one he was in. they're like, oh, I think that's his hair. That's got to be him. (laughs) So that was the way to pick him out of the crowd. But it was a lot of fun to do that. So um, you uh, are already, I know, working on next year's uh, Mm -hmm. tour because uh, the the policy development process is already underway as far as getting everybody lined up for that. Um, Again, real quick recap, what are the ways you can get on the tour if you want to be um, part of this in future years?
3: Yeah, so um, the first way is to serve on our state resolutions committee, which um, makes is made up of part of our state board, our Young Farmer and Rancher State Committee, county presidents from every board district, and then our Commodity Advisory Committee chairman and women. Um, but if you're a county president in Farm Bureau, you do have the ability to travel on the D.C. trip with part of your expenses paid. So as long as you have not been on Farm Bureau's expense in the last five years, so um, if Farm Bureau has paid for you to go on the trip any time in the last five years, you're not eligible, but if they haven't, you are eligible. So we typically send that information out to all of the eligible county presidents uh, the first part of the year. So it's going to be a little while before we have that list ready, Uh, but be on the lookout for that. Um, And then just encourage you to get involved at your county level. If you're interested in serving on any of Farm Bureau's committees, be sure you talk to your county president and talk to your regional coordinator and even your state board member. Um, We want you to be involved and we want you to be a part of policy development at all levels.
0: Yeah, and like you say, it was really cool to see a lot of the people who were first-timers coming to D.C. and mm-hmm. how excited that made them uh, to go back and get even more involved. So yeah. It's a great opportunity. Well, thanks again for all your work on this. It was a great trip, and look forward to doing it again next year.
3: Okay, sounds good. We will talk to you next week.
0: Thanks again for joining us. As Spencer mentioned, we do have some additional information to share with you from our D.C. trip, so we will be bringing that to you in the coming days. We will talk to you soon.